You are listening to The Christian Commute, a commute-length podcast about Christian apologetics, theology, and other matters of Christian interest. Here is your host, Seth Dunn. It is Thursday, February 22nd. This is The Christian Commute. I am your host, Seth Dunn, and I have been derelict once again because I haven't uploaded Tuesday's show yet. Maybe I'll do it tonight. I got busy last night, even though my kids are gone. My wife and my kids went on a winter break trip to Gatlinburg, but I stayed and and I'm still working. And I'm still busy because the soccer coach still had COVID, so I ran soccer practice again last night. So I've semi-retired from soccer coaching, and I've already coached practice twice. So now I'm on the way home to an empty house, a sad, empty house. And uh, I can do two things. I mean, there's a lot of things I can do. This is America. But there's two things I'm considering doing. One, cross-point sermon review. Or two, vegging out and watching on-demand reruns of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And I, I, I would rather the whole world watch reruns of Deep Space Nine than watch any sermon that James preaches, but I'm getting a little behind there. Which reminds me, if you want people to stop going to these goat churches, and it's around Easter, I need to do some advertising, consider sponsoring whycrosspoint.com and whyrockbridge.com. Speaking of Rockbridge, which has a campus in Calhoun, I'm actually on my way to Calhoun because I'm going to eat dinner at Dub's High on the Hog Barbecue. While my kids are away, instead of eating a sad all-alone dinner at my house from frozen, frozen fish sticks or takeout pizza, I've been going out to eat. I got General Chicken at Okinawa last night, and I think, why not hit up Dub's? Hitting up dubs for dinner, so that's what I'm on the way to do, which probably means this is going to be one of those shows with a big pause in between. I guess I will, if, if I time it exactly right, I'll get finished with the question right as I roll into dubs, and then I'll turn on the recording again when I leave, and... Uh, do the show topic. The show topic today is Bama babies. Alabama babies. Because in Alabama, even if you're an embryo in the freezer, you're a human life now. By the way, you you were before. The government just didn't recognize it. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, We have a question in the inbox on types of Baptists. And oh, there are so many types of Baptists. And as always, here comes the yawn. That's a long one. I don't feel great. I might just go home and go to sleep. (laughs) You know what? That sounds real good, going home and going to sleep. Can't do that every night. As always, we have the Bible chapter review. We are finally in Matthew chapter 28. Finally. We got pretty close to Easter, by the way, Uh, going through the Gospel of Matthew. We're here at 
the resurrection. And we're when when is Easter? Easter's well, we're not that close. Easter's like twenty eight days from now. Easter's in is Easter in March this year, or April. I think it's early in April. <sighs> I'm yawning again. This is terrible radio. Matthew chapter twenty eight, verses one through four. Now after the Sabbath. As it began to dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe quake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. So you'll remember from the end of chapter 27... The chief priests went to Pilate on the Sabbath and they said, hey, we need to put guards at the tomb or the disciples will steal his body and say that he resurrected because he said he was going to come back to life. So Pilate gave them guards and the guards were assigned at the tomb. Now the day after the Sabbath, which is going to be Sunday morning, we, we Christians in the West, we tend to think of the Sabbath as Sunday, the Christian Sabbath, but back then it's Saturday. The Sabbath is the sixth day of the week. Sunday is the first day of the week. So it's Sunday morning, and the two Marys who were mentioned in chapter 27 are on the way to the tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. And like I said last time, I don't know who this Mary is. Is it? There's a lot of Marys about, apparently. There is some dispute, because I finally Googled it. As, it, as to whether this is Jesus' mother, Mary, because that Mary has a son named James, or if it is some other woman named Mary who is also a follower of Jesus. So let's think about this. Jesus' name was a very common name. They, there are lots of Jesuses in his day. It's the same, Yeshua, Joshua. It's a very popular Jewish name. It's a popular name today. James is a popular name today. We, my granddad's name was James. Uh, there's, I could, there's some kid on my uh, son's soccer team named James. We know a blue million Jameses. And there's three Jameses in Jesus' inner circle. There's two Apostle James. James the Greater, James the Lesser. There's also James the Just, the half-brother of Jesus who probably wrote the book of James. So there's... And James... Okay. James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, his mom is Mary. And if this Mary in the book in the book here in Matthew is a different Mary from Jesus' mom, Mary, then this is yet another woman named Mary who also has a son named James. And there's lots of Johns about. There's the Apostle John. There's John the Baptist. So you can see how it could get confusing with all the Marys. But whoever they were, these two female followers of Jesus are going to his tomb. We presume that they are going there to look after the post-mortem care of the body. Okay. They came to look at the grave. But what happened? The stone sealed, right? They sealed the stone. But there's a severe earthquake. Not only that, 
which is going to loosen the stone. Not only that, an, an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. And he rolls the stone away from the grave. And then he's just sitting there waiting for people to show up. When he appears, the guards posted at the tomb apparently faint away from fright. Now, we don't know if this is like a supernatural sleep put upon them by the angel or that they were so scared and terrified of the angel that they just fainted from being scared. You'd think soldiers wouldn't be scared, but there's a difference between fighting some barbarian with a sword and then an angel shows up with an earthquake and his looks are like lightning and he's got these perfectly white clothes on. So the guards faint dead away. And this is what the two Marys are going to find. This is the scene that they're going to stumble into when they come to visit the grave. And Lord willing, we will cover that more tomorrow as we continue in Matthew chapter 28 in the Bible chapter of you going over the resurrection of Jesus. And is it, you know, I have to pause here. It's, it's kind of mundane, isn't it? We're talking about this is the Bible. Same, we do a Bible chapter review. Every day we do a Bible chapter review. And we're just going, and they did this, and they did this, and they did this, and they did this. And we're getting on the resurrection. This is the biggest event in history. This is a big deal. It's, I have been brought up in the knowledge of the resurrection, in the knowledge of the gospel. Th- this is just how it is to me. And I guess that's how I can just go about it. As a matter of fact, going through the Bible chapter review like I have a thousand times on this show. Literally a thousand times. But, let's recognize that this is a really big deal. It's a huge deal. It's the resurrection of Jesus. It's God reconciling the world to himself. And this is awesome. And we will discuss that tomorrow. Lord willing, now let's talk about those babies in Alabama. Okay? You can Google this if you want to know the news. Recently, I think within the week, the Supreme Court of Alabama ruled that embryos outside of a uterus in Alabama at a fertility clinic, because where else would you keep them, uh, count as human lives that are protected under the law. So here's what happened. Somebody was at one of these clinics, and I think it was a patient at one of these clinics, and she was just wandering around, and she went into the deep freeze room where they keep these embryos and picked some up and dropped them. As scientists would say, the samples were destroyed, but basically killed those embryos. Because they weren't frozen anymore and they were dropped on the floor. They could no longer be implanted. So there was a lawsuit, wrongful death lawsuit, by the people who, it was their embryos. And... um, The first judge heard it and said, no, embryos aren't people. But then the Alabama Supreme Court heard it and said, eight to one, yeah, they are. And the chief justice, 
and cited scripture and said they're made in the image of God. So that's what's going on in the news. So another, if you're counting like wins, quote unquote wins, legal wins for the pro-life movement, this is another post Roe versus Wade being overturned win. Abortion is already banned in Alabama. And now even the embryos outside of a uterus have the legal protection that human life has. But let's talk about this. Biblically speaking, are embryos outside of the uterus human lives? Are they humans made in the image of God? Should they have rights? Is it wrong to kill them? And let's talk about the ethics of in vitro fertilization from a biblical standpoint. Now, here's the deal. This is one of those things that it's difficult to talk about from a biblical standpoint because there's no biblical example of it. They, they did not have the technology to harvest eggs from a woman. Fertilize those eggs with harvested sperm. I don't guess they exactly have to harvest that sperm, but you know what I'm talking about. And then, like, create outside of the womb. Fertilize an egg outside of the womb. Where that egg can either be implanted back into a woman's uterus where it will grow into a full-grown baby and eventually be born, or save it for later by freezing it. Save the embryo for later by freezing it. But, I mean, what can we rightly call a fertilized embryo? Or the, what is that? That's conception, right? What is the process that creates that fertilized embryo? It's conception. Normally, and this is how it happened in biblical times, conception takes place inside the womb. When the sperm makes its journey towards the ovaries, how does this work? Let me think think about this. I have six kids. I should know how this works. The ovaries make eggs, and I think the eggs are in the uterus when they come out of the ovaries, and then the sperm goes into the uterus, and the sperm, uh, yes, implants in the egg, and that's fertilization, that's conception, and that's how life is created. That's where babies come from, okay? That's usually done inside the uterus, but you can do it outside. Now, this is just, this is where we get the logic, because like I said, there's no example of in vitro fertilization and egg harvesting and freezing embryos in the scripture. They didn't really have a knowledge of how embryos worked. They knew how sex worked. They knew where babies came from. But they didn't have the, the microbiology that we have today, obviously. But if life begins at conception, what's the difference whether the embryo, that is the earliest stage of life, is inside a womb or outside of a womb? What makes that embryo being, uh, be made in the image of God? And that, that's to be human. I'm outside of my mother's womb. I have been for some 41 years. And I'm made in the image of God. Was I not made in the image of God when I was inside the womb? And, and that's how the logic works. So, in my theological opinion, the Alabama Supreme Court has opined rightly. 
And this has thrown the fertilization and embryo industry for a loop. Because now you're not dealing with samples like, oh, well, if the freezer goes out, it's all these embryos will die. Well, we're not going to get charged with murder or negligence. Now, the state is recognizing these embryos who are very helpless as, as life. You, we've often talked about abortion on this show and how contending for the pro-life cause is contending for the most helpless among us. Because who's help, more helpless than a baby? Well, a, a pre-born baby is more helpless than a born baby. But an embryo outside the womb, I think, what is even more helpless because you're not, it's not floating around in his mom's uterus. And the, they'll die if uh, they're not kept in a freezer. I don't know why you can freeze embryos and they're still viable. I guess, I guess it's like when you have frozen food at your house, when you want to eat it, you got to thaw it out and cook it right away. <laughs> Same thing with a baby. You got to thaw it out and put it in the uterus right away and hope it takes, hope it implants. And I hate to talk about humans as it's, but we don't know whether they're he's or she's at this point. And I have held for a long time, and I think Christendom has been derelict in teaching this, that by and large, in vitro fertilization is immoral. I'm not going to say the process itself is immoral, I'm just how it works is immoral. Okay. So if you're a childless couple and you want to have a baby and you can't for whatever reason, and you choose to try in vitro fertilization. We're, all right, we're going to get the sperm from the dad. We're going to get some eggs from the mom. We're going to mix them up in the laboratory. We're going to create embryos in the laboratory, and then we're going to put them back in the mom. Okay. That's expensive. It costs thousands of dollars. So what they do, they just don't get one egg. They get as many eggs they, as they can. They might get five or six eggs. And then they get sperm from the dad. Go in there. Here's Hey, dad, here's a cup. Here's a magazine. Go produce some sperm. Okay, that's what they do. And then they fertilize those embryos, and now there's seven of them. Six, six years, let's say, let's say five. Five fertilized embryos. Okay? They're not going to put five fertilized embryos in the woman because it's dangerous to have quintuplets. So what do they do? They're all right, we're going to put two in there. Maybe three. Hopefully they implant. But we're going to save these other two and freeze them. So in case the first two don't implant, or the first three don't implant, we're going to try again with these other two. Well, let's say the first two do implant. Uh, two out of three implant. Like one doesn't make it. He, she, it dies. But the other two develop. And the previously childless parents have twins. And now they've realized their lifelong dream of having kids together. Well, hey, there's still two of your children, two fertilized embryos, embryos over there in the lab, over there at the fertility, fertility clinic. What are you going to do with them? Are you going to leave them frozen for 10 years? Because they're just, I mean, they don't take up a lot of room, but there they are. And that's where the immorality of 
the industry comes is that people don't just fertilize one egg, put it in, see if it takes. They do five, they do ten. And the reason they do this is because they're spending $10,000. You're not going to, you, you want to spend $10,000 once, not $10,000 five times. But the way economically this works is it basically leaves humans frozen in some freezer until they somehow expire. Either the freezer goes bad or some idiot walks in the, walks in the room, picks them up and drops them. Or, you know, freezer burn. Nothing lasts forever. Is that not immoral? And I want to ask you, how many Christian couples do you know who've done this and they have their children sitting frozen in a freezer somewhere? And they're not thinking this through from a biblical perspective. I, I for one, and it's easy for me to say, because if I look at my wife funny, she gets pregnant. I have, I have six kids. I have six children that have been born, and she's had one chemical pregnancy that we know of, and a miscarriage. So I've gotten my wife pregnant for sure seven times, maybe eight, and maybe even more, because a lot of times you have a chemical pregnancy and you don't even know it. So easy for me to say, because I have all these kids, I have not had this struggle. But I'm still going to say it. I would never do this. I could never do this because I, you know, I don't want to put my children in a freezer and then just leave them. Whether you're doing it inside the womb or outside the room, you are conceiving human life. And it is not ethical, dare I say sinful, to just leave them in the freezer to die or expire. He said, well, it costs $10,000. All right, spend $10,000. What's the price of a human life? I'm sorry, it's too expensive. It costs too much. I don't want to do the right thing. No, that's not how, that's not how the Christian life should work. Christians should really not be found in these clinics but unfortunately they are so thanks oh look at this parking space i'm getting thanks for listening to the christian commute lord willing i'll be back with you again oh wait in 30 minutes because i'm not done with the show what did i do you know what i did i skipped the question i did it backwards i went right into the show topic so here's what i'm going to do did this show backwards every once in a while i'll make a mistake once or twice in 1500 I'm going to pause this, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to answer the question in the inbox about Baptists. Okay, and I'm back, so let's finish the backwards show. I've already done the show topic about IVF and Alabama. I think I could go on and on about that, but I'm not. And we've done the Bible chapter review. Now let's tackle the question in the inbox. Do you have a question? about Christian theology or apologetics, if you do, you can dial 470-315-0875. Is that the number? I f- sometimes I forget the number. But hey, if that number's wrong, you can write to SethDunn88 at gmail.com. SethDunn88 at gmail.com. Keep it short enough for me to memorize... Tell me where you're from. I have but one question left in the inbox. It's a question I'm going to answer tomorrow, Lord willing, on the Friday. It's about the parable of the shrewd manager. Oh, there go my sunglasses, but I caught them. 
today's question again comes from Terry in California who's probably putting in the long CPA hours during tax season today's question is about Baptists and Terry asks what is a regular Baptist well a regular Baptist is not a separate Baptist how about that understand regular Baptists and separate Baptists, we have to go back and to another continent, alright? Because regular Baptists and separate Baptists are an American thing. We have to go to England. And when Baptists were growing after the Reformation and people are like, hold on a minute, we gotta baptize people by immersion because there's no other way to do it. There were what you'd call particular Baptists. Particular Baptists believed in particular atonement, what we might now call limited atonement. <clears throat> and then there were general Baptists who believed in general atonement. So obviously the particular Baptists were Calvinistic and the general Baptists weren't because they believed in a general atonement or rejected the idea of a limited atonement. And then the Baptists came to America. And I'll throw in that they did not celebrate Christmas. The Baptists came to America and there developed uh, out of the Baptist witness in America regular Baptists and separate Baptists. So the separate Baptists obviously were separating from the regular Baptists because of the differences they had. Regular Baptists were Calvinistic, and they would have had, I don't want to say a more formal idea of worship, but they believed in having educated pastors, like somebody now who might have, say, a Master's of Divinity, what you might call a professional or vocational pastor. Their worship was, more, say, more orderly or more formal like you might see in a Presbyterian church. That's would have characterized regular Baptists. Whereas separate Baptists were more like modern day revivalists, like uh, people you might see who preach revivals even to this day. Think of like a Billy Graham revival idea. We're going to go have a revival. Uh, they, they believed that Basically, anybody could preach as long as God gave them a message. The idea of having a sermon that was prepared during the week by an educated person going to commentaries and looking at the Greek and Hebrew, uh, that would have been not their thing. They just would open the Bible and preach, like whoever had the word that day. So they, they believed in more lay ministry, even more women preaching because anybody. So they rejected the idea of this educated clergy class. This is often referred to as the Sandy Creek tradition. And you still have <coughs> churches like this out there today. <coughs> Excuse me. I remember talking to my county missionary in Bartow County. His name is David. And he was telling me about how they have these 
he didn't use the word separate Baptist church, but it's what he meant. These separate Baptist churches, a lot of them were King James only. And if you, if you showed up there to preach with anything but a black leather King James Bible, you would upset them. And if you had a prepared sermon instead of what the Holy Spirit had laid on your heart, ooh, you were doing it wrong. And you have to understand the religious environment of America when you think about, the, say, the Great Awakening. Because that's when tent revivals were became popular and people got, there was a lot of religious fervor from that. So you had a lot of more emotionalism in the regular Baptist movement than you would have in the regular, sorry, a lot more emotionalism in the separate Baptist movement than you would have had in the regular Baptist movement. But let's not forget free will Baptists who are officially Arminian Baptists who believe you can lose your salvation. They would have been closer but not exactly equivalent to the theology of the general Baptists. I'll put it like this. All free will Baptists are general Baptists but not all not all general Baptists are free will Baptists. But you these, the distinction of regular Baptist and separate Baptist over time kind of got lost. And if you look at, say, Southern Baptists, which is what's left, right? Because you've got independent Baptists and Southern Baptists. And you have, I guess you've got cooperative Baptists. But you really can't count mainline Baptists because what are they? They don't even believe. Okay, But when you're talking about Bible-believing or evangelical denominations, and you're talking about Baptists, you have the IFB... And you have the Southern Baptists. Both both of these groups are, are really the the merger of regular and separate Baptists, and it, it all depends on the, the local church if they act more regular Baptist than separate Baptist. <clears throat> but if you wanted if you wanted to like go to a, a given Baptist church in town. And so, well, is this a regular Baptist church or a separate Baptist church? Well, like, well, does the preacher prepare his sermons? If he does, it's probably more like a regular Baptist church. And I would say the more liturgical or formal it is, where they have a set order of worship, the more regular Baptist it is. The, the streams of separate Baptist thought that exist in our culture today are revivals and emotionalism, invitation time. Come on down and get saved. So just where I live, I would say um, there's a there's a new newer church in Cartersville, Redeeming Grace Baptist Church. It's a Reformed Baptist church. I'd say this is a regular Baptist church. And then if you went to sort of the bigger churches in town, like Tabernacle or First Baptist, I would say they're 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 properly classified as regular Baptist in that they have a professional preacher who prepares his sermons. They're not as Calvinistic as a regular Baptist church would have been probably in the 1870s. And you know, First Baptist has an invitation. But then, if you went down to say, uh, oh, what's the name, Pine Grove Baptist? Even though they have a pre, like a hired preacher, and I don't know if he prepares his sermons or not, his name is Clinton Green. I would say that's closer to the separate Baptist tradition because they have 
they have the invitation where they really try to argue you up there. So you could probably look at it as a spectrum with regular Baptist churches on one side and separate Baptist churches on the other. And the more emotional it is, the less formal it is, that's from the separate Baptist side. And the more Calvinistic, not that separate Baptist, not, not that separate Baptists weren't Calvinistic, but the, they were less Calvinistic. But the more Calvinistic, the more formal, the more professional, if you will, that would be from the regular Baptist side. You didn't ask that me this, but if, if I had to pick what kind of Baptist I am, despite you know where my church membership is or where I go, if I was if if somebody if I got stranded on a desert island and had to plant a Baptist church there, I would plant a regular Baptist church. And if you study Baptist history um, and compare the arguments of the regular Baptists and the separate Baptists to the Bible, well, they, you know, they both have good arguments for their positions. Ultimately, we want to be biblical. And uh, I'll tell you this, again, a question you didn't ask. I think the Southern Baptist Convention would be healthier if it was more regular Baptist than separate Baptist. I think... Baptist, the Baptist Church, if you will. There's no such thing as the Baptist Church. The visible Baptist Church, which is all the Baptist churches, um, it would be healthier if, in general, our culture was more regular Baptist. A lot of the things, schemes and music and silly programs, I think a lot of that stems from a regular Baptist revivalist attitude. But what's also is you have the, the idea of a professional separate Baptist would have rejected some guy who went to not necessarily having a guy who's paid by the church to be the pastor but I'm talking about a guy like he went to and he's got an MD and a demon or or a PhD and he, he sits around reading commentaries and preparing sermons he's a professional theologian that kind of pastor separate Baptists would have rejected that but it's sort of we have this regular Baptist idea now or culture of the professional pastor who went to seminary but then they do a bunch of separate Baptist stuff like trying to get you hyped up with music and growth schemes so I wish we'd really get back to pure regular Baptist and pure separate Baptist instead of this mix because a lot of what we have today is professional CEO pastors they view their job as like church growth people instead of just pastors. Like we need that guy who's the scholarly, vocational, educated theologian, but what we don't need him doing is a bunch of scheming for church growth, if you get what I'm saying. But I hope that helps uh, answer your question, Terry. If you're interested in things like this, I will recommend a book for you. Uh, Henry Leon Macbeth wrote a Baptist history book. 400 centuries of Baptist Yeah, You can Google that. Um, caveat, he is a Freemason. You wouldn't know it from reading the book. H. Leon Macbeth. And it's a great history of Baptists for the last 400 years. 
and it explains all the streams from the particular and the regular to the general and the separate. And uh, there's another book out there, and this is, I don't know if you can get this one on Amazon, but it's called The Twelve Baptist Tribes of America. It's a really obscure book, but it, and it's about 10, 20 years old now, maybe 20, and it talks about the Baptist movements in America. There's a lot of them. You think about the Roman Catholic Church. It's all uniform, right? And they had a, they had a split where you have the Western and Eastern Church. And everybody knows that split happened, I think, in the 1300s. It's called the Great Schism. You know, there's one, like the one split. And then you had the Reformation, okay? But you get into Baptist world and there's like a hundred splits. There's splits within splits within splits in towns. Because it's a congregational denomination sometimes works but you can check out those 12 uh, Baptist tribes so um, it, how about this Terry if anybody ever asked you are you more of a regular Baptist or a separate Baptist now you'll know what to say so thanks for writing in somebody else send me your question I need some for next week it's weird to stop the show after the question and answer but I did it backwards I don't know I guess getting off the because I hadn't been there in a while. It took me off. <clears throat> My voice is getting kind of tired. I don't know if I'll do a sermon review or not. But thanks for listening to this. Thanks for listening to The Christian Commute. Lord willing, I'll be back with you again tomorrow. As always, God bless. And as always, remember, Christianity is not about getting saved. It's about being saved. Thanks for listening to The Christian Commute. Please send your questions about Christian apologetics and theology to SethDunn88 at gmail.com. If you are not a Christian, please remember that you can be reconciled to God through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins now and accept Jesus as Lord. God bless.